This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. You should know these scriptures off the heart. <laughs> After so many times, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. I will not read the whole from 10 to 17 this time. Uh, we have done that a lot through this uh, series. But from verse 14, Paul says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, we, we have looked uh, up to now at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and then this morning, the shield of faith. And so tonight we want to look at the helmet of salvation. But before we do that, before we go any further uh, I want us to ponder this thought just for a moment. Did you ever wonder why that in spite of all that God has given us, all this armor that we have to wear, that often we live in defeat in spite of it? Our belt of truth has loosened. Our breastplate of righteousness has slipped. Our shield of faith has dropped. Our shoes need mended. Our sword has gone blunt. And instead of standing, we fall. If this armor is not good enough, what else is there left? But the fact is, it is good enough. So the armor is not the problem. We are the problem at times, not the armor. And why is it in this battle of life that oftentimes we seem to be shot full of holes. I think the answer lies right at the beginning of this admonition of Paul, and we've read it several times. It's the very first word we read, finally, finally, brethren. Now, this is more than Paul just wrapping up his letter. It's more than him about just to sign off and just say, well, I'm at the end, so finally, here's the last word. It's more than that. Finally, here is the conclusion of everything that has gone before. All that that we've been teaching this past number of weeks, actually. And all that has gone before, he tells us to consider that. And then right at the end of it, after he's went through all of that, then he says, finally, brethren. What has he gone through before? Well, let's consider this. Chapter 1 chapter 1 to chapter 3 is the Christian's wealth which we saw speaks of our inheritance in Christ, it speaks spiritually speaking that we are literally spiritual billionaires we have a wealth spiritually speaking that is incalculable chapters 4 to 6 or at least halfway through chapter 6 speaks of the Christian's walk and it wasn't just how we walk before Christ but how we walk before the world and how we walk before one another. And then chapter 6 speaks of the Christian's walk, and chapter 
6, verses 10 to 17, speaks of the Christian's warfare. And he adds that last. He keeps that deliberately last. He gets through everything else, and he puts this in, finally, brethren. Of course, this is the part that we're talking about, the spiritual armor bit. But Paul writes in the context of all that he said before, then he says, finally, brethren, in conclusion of all that I have said before, then put on the whole armor of God. Why does he bother to do that? Why does he say that? Why does he put this last? Simply because our walk will determine our warfare. Our attitudes will determine our actions. How we live will determine how we fight. And you cannot separate the two. One will affect the other. So Paul strategically places this portion of spiritual warfare right on the heels of all that he has said before. And so he began by talking about our fabulous Christian wealth. Then he spoke about how we walk before the Lord, before the world, before others, and our witness in this present world. Having done all of that, then he says, put on the whole armor of God. Now let me remind you briefly of what he had been talking about. Chapters 4, verses 1 to 3, three, Paul tells us to walk in humility, to walk in love, to walk in gentleness, and to walk in unity. And right there, that's many times where we miss it, where we're not walking in those things. And if we're not walking in those things, then it's no wonder our armor doesn't work because we have missed that in the first place. And so he goes on, verse 22 and 23, put off the old man and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new man. Verse 25 and 26, stop lying, he says, and stop remaining angry. Don't keep angry. There's some believers are angry. All the time they're angry. The least little thing sparks them and they blow up and they say, well, that's just me. That's my personality. No, we're in Christ. We're new creatures. It can't be. Verse 27, do not give place to the devil. Verse 28, do not be lazy. Verse 29, watch your words. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouths. Verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, be not bitter or wrathful or malicious. Verse 32, be kind, forgiving one another. Be tender-hearted. Chapter 5, the first five verses, don't live an impure lifestyle. Verse 18, do not be drunk. Don't be drunken. Verse 22 and 23, husbands love your wives. Wives respect your husbands. Chapter 6, 1 to 4, children obey and honor your parents in the Lord. Fathers, love your children. Don't provoke them to wrath. Don't make them angry all the time. Don't wind them up, in other words, all the time. Verse 5 to 9, serve your employer well. Serve your employer well. And then he says to the bosses, look after your employees. Treat them well. Do good to them. Then after all of that, he says, finally, brethren, put on the whole armor of God. And so it's not just enough just to pick out chapter 6 and that little portion and forget about everything that has gone before. That's why he said all of that first, because our character and our attitudes and our deeds and our lifestyle all have a bearing on how we become victorious in this Christian life. Can't separate the two. And so, before we look at that, spiritual armory, we have to acknowledge all the practical side of our Christian life. Because when you talk about spiritual warfare, then we kind of get it in our mind as this kind of high-octane, rarefied Christian experience that's mystical. 
And we forget that Paul has given us chapters, verse after verse after verse, of down-to-earth practical living and a practical lifestyle. And then, when the battle comes, then we can put on the armor of God. And so we come now to the helmet of salvation. Again, historians tell us that a Roman soldier's helmet was probably made of bronze or brass. And it was lined by skin on the inside. And it had a frontlet, which would be coming down over the nose to protect the face. And usually it would have a plume on the top of maybe horse hair or some other animal hair. And so it was quite beautiful to look at, but it was very practical. You know, it, it prevented swords or axes cutting into the face. And so there was a, a practical thing about it as well as something uh, of beauty. And so the soldier would never, ever think of going into battle. He wouldn't dare unless he had on that helmet. The exposed head would be too easy a target for his foe. And so whatever else he may have, he made sure that he had on that helmet. Go without that at his peril. We too have a helmet. Not something that was made with men's hands, but crafted by Christ himself. The helmet of salvation, Paul says. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8, he writes this, putting on as a helmet the hope of salvation. Now, whenever a man or woman gets born again of the Spirit, not only is there a tremendous miraculous change in the heart, but there's a tremendous change in the head. There's a, the way we think changes. Our attitudes change. How we view things radically change, does it not? The things that we used to do, the things that maybe we thought was important, then we discovered they weren't important or maybe they were harmful to us, but we're thinking differently. We're thinking God's way. We're thinking Bible way. We're thinking God's thoughts. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit that comes into our lives whenever we get this helmet of salvation. Whenever we become born again of God's Spirit, our hearts are transformed, but our minds are transformed also. Scripture says, Romans 12 and 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the mind is very, very importantly. With our minds, this wonderful gift that God has given human beings, with our minds we can think logically and rationally and forensically, but we can also think creatively and imaginatively and intuitively. The mind's a wonderful tool that God has given us. But when that mind gets sanctified, when that mind is touched by God's Spirit, when that mind gets saved, as it were, then it's much, much better. It's such a power and a force for good in this world. It can advance God's kingdom. It can inspire and it can aspire and can cause us to dream dreams and can cause us to have a vision of doing something for the kingdom of God. Our, our mind changes. It's sanctified. It's set apart for God. And we no longer look to the world to guide us, but we look to God's word and we look to the spirit to guide us. And our minds has changed. And it's a wonderful thing. You think of how you used to think. And, and here's the sad thing that many, many Christians still think the way the world thinks. Because all they do is take their cue from television or from movies or from magazines or papers or whatever the case may be. And that's what they fill their mind with. 
instead of filling their mind with the word of God and with prayer and with praise and worship. And when we do that, we get God's view of this world. We begin to see God's thing. We saw that big debate and that referendum in the South just the other day, yesterday. And we saw thousands of people who think in the way this world thinks. And life is not sacred anymore. But when you think the way God thinks and you think the way the Bible thinks, then you see the, the sacredness of life and the importance of every human being and every little life that's even in the womb. And so a sanctified mind can envisage things for God and his kingdom. And the opposite is a carnal mind. A carnal mind brings death, not life. Spiritual poverty, not spiritual prosperity. It blights instead of blesses. And we once had carnal minds. We once used to think the way this world thinks. And it didn't do us any good. Sure, it didn't. But when we get saved and we get born again of God's Spirit, and our hearts were transformed, and our minds was changed, then our minds became sanctified. And this is why the mind needs protected. This is why we need the helmet of salvation to cover the mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Corinthians 10, Paul puts it this way. Verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down of strongholds. Somebody says a stronghold is a fortress made with thoughts. If we continually think the wrong thoughts, it makes a stronghold in our life. But if we think God's thoughts, that's different. We need to pull down those strongholds. Casting down arguments, as the AV says, imaginations. There's lots of imaginations today. And there's lots of high-sounding arguments against God and against the things of God and against the Word of God and against the Spirit of God casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Not allowing our thoughts to run riot and our thoughts to run away with and thoughts of anxiety and fear and worry and fright and all of that. It runs away with us. We've got to bring it under the obedience of Christ. J. Oswald Sanders says, the mind of man is the battleground on which every moral and spiritual battle is fought. Vance Havner said, our defeat or victory begins with what we think. And if we guard our thoughts, we shall not have much trouble anywhere else along the line. The late John Stott, the great English preacher, said, self-control is primarily mind control. If you can control your thoughts, it's amazing how much else you can control. Urban Lutzer said, every temptation comes to us via our thoughts. Leslie Flynn, the great old American preacher, said, every kidnapping was once only a thought. 
every extramarital affair was once only a fantasy, a thought in somebody's mind. Leslie Finn tells the story of a mother whose daughter had come home from university. And the mother was making a salad for her to eat. And the daughter casually told her that she was going to see a, a questionable movie that night. And so her mother grabbed some garbage and just flung it into the salad. And the daughter says, Mother, what are you doing? You're putting garbage in my salad. She says, well, I didn't think you're mine because you're going to put garbage in your mind tonight. I didn't think you'd mind putting it in your stomach. <laughs> so we need to be careful what garbage we're putting in or we're watching or we're listening. See, it's Spurgeon, the great see it Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. Remember in the 1800s, this man had a mega church. He preached to 10,000 people every Sunday without a microphone, by the way, or an organ or anything like that. His man was a genius. And he rarely ever, rarely ever preached on any series. <laughs> uh, he had a tremendous gift from God, this man. I mean, he, I don't have many books that he ended up writing and composing or comprising. But here's something. Charles Spurgeon once made a remarkably honest confession to his congregation in a sermon entitled The Power of the Holy Ghost. He said, I hope that my will is managed by divine grace, but I am afraid my imagination is not at times. Those who have a fair share of imagination know what a difficult thing it is to control. You cannot restrain it. My imagination has taken me down to the vilest kennels and sewers of earth. It has given me thoughts so dreadful that while I could not avoid them, yet I was thoroughly horrified by them. The thoughts will come, and when I feel the thought, these thoughts come, and when I feel in the holiest frame, in the most devoted to God, and in the most earnest prayer, it often happens that at that very moment, that's when the plague breaks out the worst. Have you ever gone to prayer and suddenly your mind is just filled with the craziest thoughts and awful thoughts sometimes and wrong thoughts and suddenly they just bombard your mind? Well, here's one of the greatest preachers that ever lived and that's what he's saying was happening to him and he felt horrified. Later on, he went on to say, some will say they cannot help having bad thoughts. That may be, but the question is, do they hate them or not? Vain thoughts will knock at the door, but we must not open to them. Sinful thoughts rise, but they must not reign. He who turns a morsel over and over in his mouth does so because he likes the flavor, and he who meditates upon evil loves it and is ripe to commit it. Snails leave their slime behind them, and so do vain thoughts. Good thoughts are blessed guests and should be heartily welcomed, well-fed and much sought after. <laughs> this is a lovely sentence. He was a real wordsmith. Like rose leaves, they give out a sweet smell if led up in the jar of memory. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? They cannot be too much cultivated. They're a crop which enriches the soil. And so we need to be careful with our thoughts 
This is why we need the helmet of salvation. Put on as a helmet the hope of salvation, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8. Now, this is not hope-so-ism. This is not a kind of a wishy-washy thing. When the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about a strong, confident assurance of our hope in Christ and his victory over sin and death and hell. Ultimate victory. What a hopeless battle we would be in if we had no hope of winning. Imagine Paul telling us to stand and stand therefore and be girded up and have all this armor on if there was no hope of winning. I mean, it would be foolishness, wouldn't it? But Jesus already fought and won the war. And he is with us in every battle. And the war has already been won, friends. It's just the battles in this life that we need to get through. And perhaps this is why Paul used a different word for take in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. As opposed to the one he used in 13 and 16. Because in 17 it means receive as from God. And maybe he's reminding us in a way here that the salvation that we received was a gift. That we received it from God. Couldn't earn it. Couldn't do anything for it other than receive it as a gift from God. It is not something that we could attain. It was only something we could obtain. Only something that we could receive. Not something we could attain to. And so we received that through faith in Christ. And so we have a redeemed heart and we have a renewed mind. And we need to take careful protection against the thoughts that want to come to us because God watches the thoughts of all men. You don't need to turn to any of these. First Chronicles 28 and 9. The Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. Psalm 7 and 9. The righteous God tests the hearts and minds. Psalm 94 and 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of man. Psalm 139, 1. O Lord, you have searched me and have known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Jeremiah 11, 20. O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart. Jeremiah 12 and 3. But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me and you have tested my heart towards you. Jeremiah 17 and 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind. Jeremiah 20, 12. O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and the heart. You see how many times the mind and the heart is connected here in these scriptures? Ezekiel 11, 5. Thus saith the Lord, I know the things that come into your mind. Revelation 2.23, I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. Hebrews 4.11, sorry, Hebrews 4.12 and 13. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, or it says of Jesus, and he knew their thoughts. And so we must be careful about 
uh, our thoughts and how that that is an important part of our Christian life. How we think will determine how we act. And so we need to rein in those thoughts. I don't know about you, but I find oftentimes that if I don't nip the thought in the bud, <laughs> it just runs riot. It just runs away with you. And then you find yourself trying to rein it in, and it's away down the road in your mind. Whereas if you can nip it in the bud pretty quickly, that usually deals with it. And so, God has given us protection against the attacks of the wicked one against our minds. John Wesley said, I would no more worry than to curse and swear. That was his quaint way of putting it. I would no more worry than to curse and swear. It's so easy to worry, isn't it? When stuff happens, it doesn't mean that we don't be concerned. It doesn't mean that we don't try to deal with it. We're not denying it. We're not hiding our head in the sand. We're not without feeling. But with the helmet of salvation, it stops that getting into we're so anxious and afraid and sick with worry that we can't sleep or we can't eat or we can hardly speak. That's what he's trying to protect us from. Stuff happens, happens to everybody. And suddenly that phone call comes or that letter arrives or that whatever happens, somebody arrives at your door and suddenly in that moment there's a tendency to panic and then worry. Paul says, get on the helmet of salvation. Look after the mind. In Philippians chapter 4. And we know these scriptures well enough, don't we? Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brethren. Well, let's read from verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Be anxious for nothing. Easier said than done, isn't it? But yet, that's what Paul's telling us to do. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Because when you thank God, then you're grateful and you're reminding God and thankful for everything he's done for you up to then. So it's good to thank God. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And here he goes back to the military metaphor. Will guard or will garrison or will stand like senators all around your minds and hearts through Christ Jesus. So Paul could see our minds guarded like centuries all around our mind guarding them against these thoughts that want to crowd in on us. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Last week when I was on holiday and I was walking up a beautiful vista just 
you just go around a corner in this beautiful vista of mountains and lakes and snow caps and cabins, beautiful. And I just stood there and oh, and I lifted up my heart and I thanked God for his creation and the beauty and the loveliness of it. I was just struck with that. And I didn't even take a picture at that point. I took loads of them, but at that point I thought, I don't even want to lift the camera. I just want to look at this and take it in and enjoy it and thank God for it. So it doesn't have to be a spiritual thing you thank God for. Thank him for anything that's lovely. If it's a good report, if it's beautiful, it's nice, thank God for it. If there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. In Matthew chapter 6, and we'll close with this. Verse 25, therefore, Jesus said, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What's the two biggest industries in the world today? Food and clothing, isn't it? Billions are spent on food and clothing every day. That's what concerns humanity. And Jesus gets right down to the very basic things. Nothing wrong with food, nothing wrong with clothing. Thank God for it. But Jesus gets right down to the very basic things. He says, do not worry about it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown down in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, again, he says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Put on the helmet of salvation, Paul says. Protect the mind. Make sure our mind is covered. And if our mind is covered by the word of God, constantly, Feed on the word of God. And then when those thoughts come, you'll have something to counteract that. And if the world is saying this and the world is saying that, you have something to counteract it. You can go to God's word because that's his word to us. On a personal level, God's speaking to us every day through his word. So, wear the helmet of salvation. God willing, next Sunday morning, we'll do the last one of the, the uh, spiritual warfare and that's the sword of of the Spirit.
which is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. We want to look at the sword because the Roman soldier sword was a very special weapon. It was feared on the battlefield by all, and they were very adept at using it. So we want to have a look at that particular sword. So let's pray. Lord, you have given each of us an incredible mind, a great tool to be used. Lord, help us to sanctify it for the kingdom of God, to use our minds to visualize the kingdom and the things that need done in the kingdom, the things that need done in our lives for the kingdom, and help us to think the right thoughts, the thoughts of the kingdom of God and the word of God, and help us, Lord, to not worry and fret and be anxious and afraid continually. And Lord, if something pops up that causes uh, a panic in our hearts for the moment, help it to be short-lived in our lives, that we get back to level ground again, victory ground, Hallelujah. and overcome, Lord, the evil one and his fiery darts that comes against us. And so we give you thanks for these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.